Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to continue in our study of Hebrews today, picking up in verse 26 and following down through verse 31. Uh, if you were with us last Lord's Day, you know that uh, we're at a section now in Hebrews where uh, the writer has encouraged his listeners uh, to have confidence in their faith in Jesus Christ, to have assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great high priest who gives us access to the Father. And so, as we just sang, until uh, that day of Christ's return or when Jesus takes us home, we can have that, that assurance, that confidence because of what Jesus has done. And so, uh, the writer's been reminding the Hebrews of this, and now he'll turn for a moment uh, to give a warning uh, there's been a number of warnings that we've looked at in the Scripture in the book of Hebrews so far, and we'll look at another one today as we walk through these verses together. Uh, so if you're able to, if you would stand out of reverence for God's Word as I read it for us this morning. And this is the warning that God gives to us. He says this, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is Mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God you would pray with me. Father, I pray that You would help us to heed this warning today. That we would cling to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, just as we were encouraged through the previous passage, that, that we would draw near to Jesus as the day of His return is drawing near to us. We are one day closer to that day this Lord's Day. So Father, help us to cling to the Gospel and help us to be sober-minded as we consider this warning today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you've probably seen the same news reports that I have in recent weeks. Many are saying that uh, this may be one of the worst flu seasons that we've faced in some time, and uh, some of you have already dealt with that. There's been a lot of sickness going around, a lot of flu going around. Um, we've not had the flu in the Carwell house yet, but we have had uh, various colds and different things, and so like many of you, I've been going back and forth to the pharmacy, getting different prescriptions, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like in recent years when you go to get a prescription, that there's more and more paperwork uh, with that prescription. And most of us probably just set that to the side. But if you sit down and read through it, for the most part, uh, it's filled with warnings. Uh, it's filled with cautions. It's basically telling you all the side effects that can come from this medicine that you've been 
prescribed. And if you actually sit down and read through those lists, it's a bit daunting to consider all the things that could happen as you're taking this medicine for something else. And so, for example, I've had a bit of congestion, so I went to get some medicine for congestion, and I thought, well, I wonder what the warning is. And so, I'll read to you in part this medicine that I got for congestion. Here are some of the warnings that came with it. May cause nausea, stomach pain, constipation, insomnia, headache, dizziness, anxiety, dry mouth, skin rash, drowsiness, problems with memory or concentration, restlessness, and ringing in your ears. I would rather be congested than any of the things on that list. But most of us, even in light of these warnings, we still take the medicines anyways. Why? Because we realize that they're not saying that all these things are going to happen to everybody who takes this medicine. In fact, we realize if we read the really, really tiny print that this is a list of things that one or two may have occurred in a very small percentage of people who took this medication. And so we look at the warning as something that probably doesn't apply to us. We consider ourselves to be in that majority. We're, we're not in this minority that this is going to affect. So, so we kind of just put those to the side and we ignore them. And, and we can do that with medications. But the sad reality is, is that's what many people do with warning passages in God's Word. We've read a very stern a very sobering warning this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. A warning that fiery judgment will consume those who go on sinning deliberately. A warning that God's punishment is on those who refuse His Word and reject His Son. And yet for many of us, when we hear those warnings, we assume they don't apply to us. Those are warnings for somebody else. Those are warnings for really bad people. Those aren't for me. And so many times we ignore them, or realistically, many times we just don't read them at all. When you think about God's judgment in hell, these are not very popular subjects in our Christian culture today. In fact, you'll find many pulpits where pastors won't preach about hell and they won't preach about judgment. I saw... Uh, a news story a few years ago on a CBS morning show, and they were interviewing uh, a very prominent pastor. He pastors still one of the largest churches in our nation. And the interviewer was asking him uh, about this very subject because this individual is known for not talking about negative things, not talking about God's judgment, not talking about hell. And so the interviewer said, do you ever preach about hell and about God's judgment? And he said, oh, no, absolutely not. And when asked why, this pastor said, well, you know, I think people feel guilty enough. I don't want to make them feel bad. I want to make them feel better. And that sentiment is in many pulpits in our nation today. But what that misses is the whole counsel of God's Word. Well, what that misses is there are warnings that God has given to His people. Not just for a select minority of people. No, these warnings are for all of us to consider and to heed. And we need these warnings. And so this morning, I want to take some time 
to walk through this text and to consider this warning that God gives to us. I realize this is not the most popular topic. I realize this is probably not where you flip to when you're wanting a word of encouragement, but I hope that you will be encouraged by God's word as we look at what it says to us this morning. And so we're going to look at this warning that's given here in three parts, beginning with the first point there I put in your outline. The first part of this warning is this. Do not rebel against the Word of God. Do not rebel against the Word of God. Notice again there in verse 26, the writer says, if we go on sinning deliberately. Now, the question then comes to mind, well, what, what does it mean to sin deliberately? I mean, isn't all sin deliberate sin, volitional sin? We, we choose to sin and there's a distinction that's made by the writer of Hebrews that shows us that there are times when we sin deliberately, intentionally, and then there's times we sin unintentionally. Uh, for example, you may recall back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, the writer there addresses sin that's a result of ignorance, of not realizing what God's commandments are, and sinning in ignorance. He also mentions being led astray. And so there's a contrast between Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 10. In one sense, sin can be sin that, that happens to us when we aren't being considerate of God's Word, aren't, aren't aware of God's Word, we, we sin unintentionally. And at the same time, there can be sin that's rather intentional and rebellious. Sin that comes when we know what God's Word says and we choose to disobey it. And this distinction in sin isn't limited to Hebrews. We, we see this throughout the counsel of God's Word. For example, when we look to the Old Testament, uh, we see this very clearly in Numbers chapter 15. Now, Numbers chapter 15 gives us an incident where Moses is speaking to the people on behalf of God, and he's pointing out the difference between unintentional sins and intentional sins. Now, he says both of them are sin. So there's no off the hook here. There's no, well, they didn't know. Both of these are sins and both of them have consequences. But the consequence is very different. And so, for example, in Numbers 15, he talks about people who sin unintentionally. He warns the people, there may be a time when you go into the land, there may be a time when you forget the commandments of God, or there are people among us who don't know the commandments of God, and they violate those commandments. They sin unintentionally. And then he gives them the consequence for that sin. He says when this unintentional sin happens, they need to make a sacrifice. Now notice, Moses says here, even if they don't know what they're doing is the wrong thing, it's still the wrong thing. It's still sin. And there's still a consequence of that sin. Now this is helpful for us today. Because there's many who will ask the question at times, well, well what do we do about people who, who've never heard the gospel? What about people who've never uh, heard a sermon like we're hearing this morning? What about people who live in places where they've never heard about Jesus? I mean, well, what's going to happen with them? And we see from that passage and many others that they're still accountable for their sin. In Numbers 15, Moses says the people are still accountable for their sin, but the consequence of that sin is they need to make a sacrifice. But then he turns his attention to those who sin intentionally. 
He calls this a high-handed sin. The sense here is they are literally shaking their fist at God in rebellion. These are people who know what God's Word says, and they choose to rebel against it. And notice the severity of the consequence that comes from this sin. Numbers 15, beginning in verse 30. But the, purpose, the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. Do you see a difference there? That this one who sins unintentionally, they need to go make a sacrifice. This one who rebels against God, they are to be removed from the people of God and cut off from them. Why? Because of the severity of their sin. They have been deliberate in their sin. And so as we come back to Hebrews, that helps us to understand more what the writer's pointing out here. He is directing his argument to someone who goes on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And so I don't think that this verse is talking about believers who are just struggling with sin in their life. No, I think this is talking about those who perhaps have, have said they're believers, but, but now they have completely rebelled against God's Word and they have turned from the Word of God. They were exposed to it, but they chose not to repent in light of it. And so how do we know if the sin that we are dealing with today, in my life and in your life, how do we know whether that's deliberate and intentional or unintentional? And I think it has everything to do with how we respond when our sin is exposed by the Word of God. I'll give you an example of that. I've shared a number of times about opportunities I've had to go uh, on mission trips around the world and and one place very close to my heart is West Africa. I've had the chance to go there to Niger a number of times. I have a very good friend. Uh, he and his family minister there and I remember on uh, one of my first trips to West Africa uh, I met one of the first believers in this village and so uh, the place where the missionary and his family were uh, was a city, a village where there had been no gospel witness ever and so he and his family moved there. They began to share the gospel. And over time, people started coming to faith in this place where no one had ever heard the gospel before. It was an Islamic area. And so one of the men who came to faith in Christ was named Buba. Now, Buba came from a very important family in Niger. Uh, Niger, if you look it up today uh, on the internet, you'll find that it's one of the most just impoverished diseased nations on the planet it, it is poor it is a, a desolate land it is a hard place to live but that's not how it's always been and so generations ago uh, this was a flourishing land and there were kings that ruled over these kingdoms and and this man booba who came to faith in christ his family was one of those families that ruled this area so he was a very important person in his village and he came to faith in jesus and so the missionary began to disciple him. And, and after a few weeks, one of the other new believers came to the missionary and said, have you, you heard about what's going on with Booba? And he said, no. And he said, well, he's about to get married. Well, that may seem fine to most of us, but the issue was uh, Booba was already married. <laughs> you see, in this area, like many Islamic countries today, 
they are polygamous. And so, uh, especially in important families like Bubas, you take multiple wives. And so he had a wife and he had a child, and now he was about to enter into marriage with a second wife. And so this missionary went to him, and he opened up God's Word, and he showed him God's plan for marriage. And he took him to Genesis chapter 2 and showed him how in the beginning, uh, God's perfect design was one man and one woman to come together in this marriage covenant, a one flesh union. That's what marriage is to be. Now we know from God's Word that people rebelled against that. They took multiple wives, but God never endorses this. God never blesses this. God's design is for one man and one woman in a one flesh union. And so he exposed Bubba to what the Word of God says. And in response, this brand new believer repented. He immediately broke off that second engagement. Now, this cost him literally everything. He was already becoming an outcast because of his faith in Christ, but this truly made him an outcast among his family, uh, this woman's family, and really everybody in his village. That They just cut him off entirely because it was great shame that he brought on all of them by breaking off this engagement. But what he did was obeyed the Word of God. Friends, that is how our response today is to be to sin. There are times when we sin unintentionally. There are times we walk into sin not even realizing what we're doing is the wrong thing. The question is, how do we respond when we're exposed to the truth of God's Word? And if our response is one of repentance, that is the mark of genuine faith. But if we do not repent, then be warned. Because we fall then into this category, I believe, of those who go on sinning deliberately. And so how do you respond when you're confronted by the Word of God? Do you repent or do you rebel? The, the context here, I believe, is very clear. This is apostasy. This is people who had heard the gospel, seemed to respond to the gospel, and now they had abandoned the gospel. These were Hebrew Christians who, under pressure from their Jewish community, had pulled away from the gospel. And notice the consequence of that, the writer tells us. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. A fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Well, what is he saying there? He's saying that if you have heard the gospel and you seem to respond to the gospel, but now you're walking away from the gospel, you're not going to find salvation anywhere else. There's no hope for you outside of the blood of Jesus. And so, friend, hear that this morning. There may be some you here who at one point in time you walked this aisle or another perhaps you went into these baptismal waters here or in another church perhaps you're a member here a member somewhere else and you hold on to that as your salvation but there's little to no fruit of christian faith in your life today and when you're exposed to the truth of god's word you turn away from it and you choose to do what you want to do. You will not be ruled over by Christ as Lord. Be warned. There is salvation nowhere else. Be warned not to rebel against the Word of the Lord. The second part of this warning, point two, we're warned, do not reject 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 28 to say, uh, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, our immediate question is, well, what's he talking about here? Well, remember, uh, the writer is talking to Hebrew Christians. They're well-versed in the Old Testament, well-versed in the books of the law, and they would know as he's speaking to them about this that this is likely a reference to Deuteronomy 17. And Deuteronomy 17, uh, this passage tells uh, what happens to those who violate the covenant that God made with His people from, by turning away from God and worshiping the other gods. This is a violation of the commandments that God gave. They were to worship Him and Him alone. And yet what we see during the Exodus is many people turn from worshiping the one true God and they worship false gods. And so in Deuteronomy 17, we read about the severe consequence for God's people who turned and worshipped false gods. The consequence was they were taken before the city gate and by the evidence of two or three witnesses, they were put to death. And so the writer of Hebrews basically says this, now remember what we read in the Old Testament. Remember, those who rebelled against the law of Moses on the evidence of two or three witnesses, they were put to death. Well, why is he bringing this up? Well, we see as we continue, he says, how much worse the punishment. He's saying if their consequence for hearing God's Word and choosing not to obey it was death, how much worse will your consequence be when the Son of God has been revealed to you, His death, His atonement has been made available for you, and yet you have turned away and you have rejected the Gospel. How much worse will your punishment be? And then He outlines for them what it looks like to reject the Son of God he said, first, these are people who trample underfoot the Son of God. And my travels, and you may have experienced this as well, you learn different customs in different places, and, and there's a number of places in the world where it, it's, uh, it's not good to show someone the bottom of your foot. You have to be careful how you sit. You don't want to sit where the underside of your foot is pointing towards someone because this is an offense. Because in many cultures, this, you basically say to them uh, something negative by showing them the underside of your foot. This has uh, ancient foundations and ancient civilizations they believed to show someone the bottom of your foot was basically to say, I rule over you. <laughs> You're underneath me. You're beneath me. I can step on you. I am above you. And so what is the person saying who tramples underfoot the Son of God? What is the person saying who hears the gospel and the goodness of it and puts it under their foot? They are saying that they are above it. They are saying that they don't need it. They are saying that they don't want it. And this is what the person who rejects the gospel of Jesus does. Not just that. Second, he says they profane the blood of the covenant. To, to profane something is to refer to it as common and useless. 
And so we've looked quite a bit at the tabernacle and how there were so many instructions God gave for the tabernacle. And one thing that's very clear about the tabernacle is those objects that were in it were far from common. They were set apart for God's use. They were set apart for worship. They were set apart for this sacrificial structure. And so they were to be revered. They represented holiness. They weren't just common things. And so, for example, you see with the Ark of the Covenant, God gives specific instructions that you couldn't even touch it. If you touched it, you would die. Why? Because it represented the very holiness of God. And so there were loops on either side and and poles that would go through those loops and they had to pick it up in a very specific way because God was teaching His people something about holiness and sinfulness. He was saying that this is not common. This is set apart. This is special. You know, if the ark was special, how, how much more special was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sin? And yet, what does the person who rejects Jesus do? They look to the blood of Jesus as useless, as common. And they reject it. They profane it. Third, it says he says that they outrage the spirit of grace. I believe this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that brings conviction, the Spirit that draws us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is that the person who rejects the Gospel, that they reject the work of the Holy Spirit, they profane the work of the Holy Spirit, that they don't want to listen to the work of the Spirit. Why? Because they desire their sin more than they desire Jesus. Friends, we see pictures of this all around us. We see people all the time who will come into church and come rather enthusiastically, rather excitedly. They'll make professions of faith. They'll get baptized here. They'll join the church here. They'll perhaps get into a Sunday school class, get in an area of ministry, of service, and and they seem so excited about the Lord. But then time goes on and their desire for the things of the world are are greater than their desire for the things of Christ. At times, very clearly, it's a relationship. That they want to pursue a relationship that is not pleasing to the Lord and so they they set aside their, their faith and the excitement about their faith and they pursue wholeheartedly this immoral relationship. For others, it's a lifestyle. It's... It's choices they make that take them farther and farther and farther away from the Word of God and the people of God. It usually does not come when a person just intellectually decides, well, I don't know that I believe in the Gospel anymore. No, it's when they pursue their sin and they get so deep in their sin that then as they pursue that sin and they don't repent of their sin, then they get to that point where they just reject the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe the Scripture gives us a category for these people. We see it in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were never of us. If they'd been of us, they would have stayed with us, but they went out that it might become clear that they were never a part of us. The Scripture teaches clearly that those who are truly saved, who have genuine faith, they will endure to the end. 
they will persevere in their faith. And so if you find yourself in a place today where, where, where you're here, and maybe you're amening, but, but you know the fruit of your life is not the fruit of faith, it is the fruit of the desire of the things of this world. It is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, and those are the things you are pursuing. Those are the gods in your life. Friend, if that is you, then heed this warning. Do not reject the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But so often what we find is people that they rebel against the Word of God, they, they reject the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but because they don't fear the reality of God's judgment. And that brings us to our third point, the third warning we're given. We are to fear the reality of God's judgment. Notice verse 30 and 31. For we know Him who said... Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The writer here is quoting from Deuteronomy towards the end where Moses is speaking to the people. If you know the story of God's people, you know that Moses was called to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And along the way, uh, Moses does not obey God and many of the people don't obey God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews reminds us that many of the people died in the wilderness. And Moses himself, their leader, he was not allowed to go into the land of promise. And so uh, there's this point in Deuteronomy where uh, Moses is speaking to the people knowing he's not going to go into the land of promise. Joshua is going to have to lead them into the land. But, but Moses teaches them what's called the Song of Moses. And basically, he's catechizing them. He's teaching them. And he's saying, I want you to sing these words to one another so you don't forget these things. And he's singing about uh, God and His goodness and trust Him and hold fast to Him and believe in Him and don't abandon Him. Don't, don't fall along the way like so many have in our journey. Just, just hold fast. Very much what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in his letter. Moses is saying to the people in Deuteronomy, but along the way there in Deuteronomy 32, he gives them a warning in regards to those who won't hold fast, who won't stand firm in the Word of God, who will turn from what God's Word says. And he says to them, you need to remember who God is. You need to remember the justice of God and the wrath of God. You need to remember the God who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and the Lord will judge His people. You need to remember, just as we need to remember today, friends, well, we need to remember what the Gospel teaches us. That we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. That God's standard is perfection and righteousness and we fall desperately short of it. I've had the opportunity to share the Gospel with literally thousands of people over the years. And in those conversations, I will often ask people if you were to stand before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to Him? And I've never, ever had someone say to me, well, I would say to God, I'm perfect and therefore I should go to heaven. 
I've never had someone say to me, well, my life has been sinless and I'm just as holy and righteous as God is, so I deserve to be in the presence of a holy God because I'm righteous. I've never sinned. And I don't think any of you would want to make that argument either. Because we know what the Scripture says. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. So how can sinful people dwell in the presence of a holy God when the wages of sin is death and we deserve the wrath of God for our sin? When we deserve separation for our sin? And the good news of the Gospel tells us that is because God demonstrates His love toward us. Romans 5.8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. The, the eternal Son of God was made flesh, lived a perfect life, life of obedience which we have not done went to the cross died in our place that we might be covered by his blood so that we can dwell in the presence of god not based on our own merit and our own good works but covered by the righteous blood of jesus christ that's how we can dwell for eternity with god but we need to understand the gospel that if we will not repent and we will not trust in Jesus, there is a very real judgment that is coming on us for our sin. And the saddest news is this, that we would rather spend eternity in hell under that judgment than trust in the Christ who paid it for us. We would rather be Lord of our life here than have Him be Lord of our life for eternity. That is how messed up our sinful flesh is. And the Scripture shouts clearly to us, wake up. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. And know that there's a reality of judgment that is coming to those who will not. So friend, if you find yourself in a place today where perhaps you recognize that you've not truly turned and you've not truly trusted, then know you were in good company. We have people throughout this church and there are people filling pews all over the world today who may have indicated a decision at a young age, maybe they joined the church, but the fruit of their life has been they haven't genuinely trusted in Jesus Christ. And they later come to awareness of that, and they realize their desperate need, as perhaps you are realizing your need today. And the call for you today is to repent and trust in Jesus. To place your faith in Christ to draw near to Jesus while you have opportunity because the day of His return is drawing near to us. Our call is to trust in Him. I've shared before the testimony of Joseph Hart and I'll share it again this morning because I think it's very fitting with our text and we're about to sing a hymn that he wrote. Joseph Hart was born in 1712, uh, he grew up in a home that taught the gospel. He heard the gospel in church at a very young age. He seemed to respond to that gospel like many of you uh, did at a young age. But over time it became apparent that he wasn't genuinely converted. 
Because as he got older, his desire for the things of the world was much greater than his desire for Christ. And so he wholeheartedly pursued the immorality that the world would offer him. And he did this for many years until he was 45. And by the grace and the providence of God, when he was 45 years old, he found himself in a church hearing the Gospel proclaimed and the Holy Spirit worked on him and he did not refuse the work of the Spirit. He responded in repentance and faith and he experienced genuine conversion to Christ. And the fruit followed that. He became a prolific hymn writer. In fact, he wrote many hymns, one of which we're about to sing. And so... With that testimony in mind, before we sing it, I just want to read to you the words of come ye sinners poor and needy. And I want to ask as I read these for you to consider, friend, is this you today? Is this response we're going to sing about, is this the response that you need to make today? Hear these words. Come ye sinners poor and needy, Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, love and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden. Lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness He requireth is to feel your need of Him. And then this is the response. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are. 10,000 charms. Friends, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And if you are, do not refuse His Word. Do not reject the work of His Spirit, but respond in repentance and faith today. So I want to invite you to stand as I invite us to pray as we go into this time of response. And I want to ask you very specifically to consider how you need to respond to the Word of God. If you would, pray with me. Father, I do ask that in this time that You would help each of us to respond to Your Word and to heed the warning that we're given. Now there are some here perhaps today who have been sinning in ignorance and foolishness. They, they haven't even realized how they violated Your Word. But today, through the power of Your Holy Spirit and through Your Word proclaimed, You have showed them that they are in sin and they need to repent. Father, I pray they would not go on sinning deliberately now that their sin's been exposed, but that they would repent and they would trust in Jesus. Father, there may be some here today who are weak and weary and are trying so hard in their own efforts to please You. Lord, I pray that You would help them to see their need to abandon their efforts and to trust in Jesus. Friends, I want to give you just a moment before we sing, just as our heads are bowed, as, as we are in this moment, I want to give you just a moment, each of us today, to respond to God through prayer.
It may be that today God is at work on you in a way that that you know you need to respond, you need to repent, and you need to trust in Jesus. It may be that you've done that and yet you find yourself today struggling with sin and and on the edge of whether you will repent and trust in Jesus and walk with Him or you will walk away from your faith entirely. It may be that you're just burdened today and you're suffering today. Or it may be today that you just need to take a moment and praise God for His goodness in your life. Whatever it is, would you just take a moment right now and, and pray and respond to the Word of God. Father, in Your grace, You have given us this moment and You have given us Your Word. Help us not to foolishly turn from it but by faith to trust in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.